Oh, hello there. Thanks for joining us. In today's episode, you'll find our trio of truculent talkers engaged in a heated debate about Denis Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049. For this episode, the boys decided to record in the grandeur of suburbia. See if you can spot all the wonderful sounds of nature that we can hear in the background as we continue to work through some microphone issues as well. We hope you enjoy, and thank you for your patience. Welcome to Nerds of the Old Republic, the podcast where we drink and discuss nerdy fiction and where we're not above shouting obscenities at deceased authors, because fuck you. <laughs> I'm Adam. I'm Sean. And I'm Mike. This is episode four of season two, if you can't tell. We've made some mistakes, so I'm trying to get it right here today. Uh, this nerdy podcast of ours is so excited to be back. Today we are discussing a Denis Velneau movie, Blade Runner 2049. Did I get that right? You got it. All right, thank God. Yes. There we go. That's the only bell I deserve today, period. Just wipe it out. Uh, Of course, that is inspired by the work of, as I call him, PKD, Philip K. Dick. But first, we need your help, fellow nerds. We would love it if more people could hear our beautiful thoughts, our laughter, and maybe some of our sarcastic jokes and obscenities towards people we don't yet know. So, if you could share our podcast wherever you listen with one person, just hit that share button. Every app has a share button. Just hit it. Send it to somebody you know. Maybe not grandma, because we're not safe for work. But Unless you got another a cool grandma. Yeah, That's grandma true, actually. Love that. Some grandmas are fucking raunchy. That's a great point. So, if your grandma's like that, or if you got some other nerdy friends, send us to them, please. Could be a nerdy grandma out there, too. That's true. I hate to be stereotypical. I apologize. <laughs> It's also a good time to point out that we are uh, we are recording at an undisclosed third-party location where apparently the lawns need to be mowed at this moment, and the Blue Jays are active. Well, it is fall here in western New York, and, and uh, we nerds thought that we would get outdoors today and mm-hmm. enjoy nature. It's a lovely day. There's Blue Jays singing, and the sun is out, and, and as you said, people mowing their lawns. It's almost become a trope of ours to have some sort of random-ass noise in the background. Yeah. Uh, we had foxes at Sean's house. That's right. We have Blue Jays here. The lawnmower is the one I'm a little bit miffed with, but I guess I can't control that they're humans as important as I see myself. But you know, I got to say, thank you to the third party uh, owner of this place. Yeah, thank you. This is fantastic. Friend what of the a cast. Beautiful backyard here, and we were very happy to be here. So thanks yeah. for that. I mean, let's just be honest. We're at Bill Murray's house. Our, our, good old, <laughs> our friend. Yeah, friend of the cast. Uh, I mean, it was Bill Murray or Snoop. Those are the two labeled right. friends of the cast. <laughs> and Snoop thanks, was Bill. busy. So thanks, yes. mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be at your house next time, Snoop. Yeah. So if you're not into killing robots, that's okay. Don't leave, because after this episode, we are talking about Shizun Lu's The Three-Body Problem. I'm going to pronounce it differently Did every time. No, guys. I'm going to look it differently every time <laughs> so that I nail it one time. Scissor uh, King Lou. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Lou. it's going to turn out that Shizu is correct. <laughs> and Probably. Lou is actually like Liu. I'm sure. I'm sure Adam's it is. Adam's command of Mandarin is unparalleled. Yes. You know what? I only have the city Mandarin. Not the people's Mandarin. You're not provincial? No, which probably explains my mistakes here. So that's what we're talking about next. And you know what? It's going to be a Netflix original. So read it before it's cool and then be a hipster and be like, ugh, yeah, I read that months ago before Netflix said it was cool. So go fuck yourself, right? Or listen to us. 
and pretend you read it. That's also fine. You can cite us. We're authorities in these realms, and then you could, you know, be cool. Our discussion will be exhaustive, so you'll be able to pass, you know, as if you had read it. Exhaustive or exhausting? (laughs) Uh, Exhaustive is the word I went with. I'd say both, though. (laughs) Yeah. You should be tired when you're listening to us. You should be tired of laughing so hard. And your brain hurts a little bit, so you need a rest. Which is why I'm so looking forward to this beverage that Sean brought today. Sean, what are we drinking today? It's not the norm. Oh, guys, I think this is becoming a bit of a cast trope where I bring the shittiest beer available (laughs) at the time. (laughs) Don't sell uh, yourself short. You uh, do a great job. Although Dragon Milk was good. Yeah. That was a good one. I'd like to get back to that again. But we've been talking about craptacular Mm. beers lately, and I'm having a crappy beer renaissance. And uh, I, I exhaustively labored to try and find some Red Dog. And uh, this, this shit's hard to come by. Yeah. Red Dog, if you're listening, send us a case. We'll yeah. gladly imbibe it. You mid-30 to uh, 40-something-year-olds will remember Red Dog for having a Red Dog on the can, yep. and that's all it's known for. Yeah. Before Sean actually introduces the beer, I just want to point out that Sean has now confessed to working really, really hard to bring us the beer that, like, your completely uncultured uncle just throws in the fucking cooler at the family party without <laughs> yep. any thought at all. If it even exists anymore, because I, I haven't seen it on shelves, and I tried to find it. Yeah. So, again, Red Dog, if you're listening. If you exist. That's right. Get your dogs. Um, so, in fact, I brought something that's a little near and dear to the Buffalonian's heart. These mm-hmm. are Western New Yorkers, and it's uh, a Labatt uh, beer. It's beer. It comes in a black can, and it is called Max Ice. Indeed. A point for Labatt. I am excited about this beer. Something about this beer just said Blade Runner to me. <laughs> I don't know. But the, uh, it's the masculine black with yeah, the, the yeah. um, negative space of the silver can yes. surrounding Max. That's it. Adam, you nailed it. And just Thank the you. name Max, I think. When I think of Max, I think of the future. Yeah. Mad <laughs> Everything Max. is to the Max. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's also uh, Max alcohol by volume, 8%. Man. Yeah. And we got to drive home after that. <laughs> We'll take our time. Yeah, it's going to be We're going to fill our bellies. I will tell you, we used yeah. to drink Labatt ice, Labatt regular ice, not yeah. Max ice, <laughs> in college because it was like, oh, that's the most alcohol. That'll get you drunk. Oh, yeah. And that was like 5.4, I believe. So yeah. 8% is quite a jump. <laughs> if, we had had, if we had had access to Max ice, college would have been even more productive. Oh, and sure. I, I had Indeed. to hold myself back from buying the pounders. <laughs> and that would have been that would have been another epic experience. Maybe in a future cast, yeah, we'll, there you we'll go. do some pounders. But uh, for now, we've got a, a 16 fluid ounce a pint can of labette max ice let's do this all right absolutely gentlemen cheers cheers Damn. oh man i'm i'm not even capable of taking a proper sip of this i just went straight to chugging that was two <laughs> solid gulps right it's there. like muscle memory <laughs> just right. straight down that's right oh yeah that is uh as the canadians would say beer fort yeah, I'm halfway done. Are you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, this honestly, like, so in college, we were Molson people. I'm not sure why. It was just my friends, and they would buy Molson. Um, Molson's but, all right. Yeah, it's fine. And Molson had uh, those, like, cool little sayings or whatever written on the can in those Yeah, days, they too. did. Yeah, they yeah. had, like, the unique, quote-unquote, unique cans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's all we bought it for. But Labatt was definitely a close second. Blue was always in the fridge. It's still in my fridge. Honestly, as a Buffalonian, uh, it's almost like a patriotic duty, even though it's a Canadian beer. I know they brew it here in Buffalo. It's so super drinkable, though. It's, yeah. like, in my opinion, way better than a Bud. Oh, right. my God. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a bit more quaffable. But, oh, oh indeed, yes. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. And Word of the cast. 
if yep. uh, if you poured this in a pint glass at a boutique like brew house or whatever and said this is a whatever lager or something or other, I'd be like Imperial Lager. Yeah, you just exactly. need to throw the word Imperial on it and then you can have eight like, percent yes, alcohol. This is this guy I can taste it. I can taste the maltiness in it and all that blah blah blah. Yeah. But it's Labette and it's in a can and it's called Max Ice. <laughs> So, uh, Sean, I'm curious um, what your atmospheric notes would be for this mm. for this beverage. This if is, you listen uh, to the last cast, we're going to bring in this reoccurring theme where Sean talks about the terroir of his life when it comes <laughs> to the beverages we're having. This is the Evening Star Lounge in Niagara Falls. Ooh. Ooh. Right, my band and I played some gigs back in the day, and this would be the flavor of the stage. <laughs> oh, you often licked stages. Well, just you, you know when you smell something deeply enough yeah. that you get the taste of it in your mouth. Sure. And it refuses to leave over time. This is the Evening Star stage. So two quick thoughts here. You can tell from the name Evening Star Lounge that this place was fucking classy. Oh, shit. man. Oh, yeah. Black tie only. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> Velvet uh, curtains. And uh, second thought, uh, for listeners of the show, if you can find footage of Sean's band playing... Uh, Adam and I would sure love to see it. Yeah. It might exist, but yeah. I don't know. Um, I will jump on your bandwagon. This is the Elmwood Lounge at the end of the night watching Lou Diamond Phillips singing in front of me for one of his last shows. Ooh, Lou Diamond Phillips? Damn. Wait a minute. That's an actor, isn't it? Did I just make a drunk mistake? I think Possibly. You think of Lance Diamond. <laughs> I'm going to look it up now. <laughs> Buffalo uh, singer, Buffalo uh, famous. Let's see. Lance. <laughs> I'm going to go on the record and say it's Lance Diamond. Fuck. It was Lance Diamond. Yeah! You got it. Yeah. I always thought he was Neil Diamond. <laughs> yeah. Lou, again, I just did Lou Diamond and Lance Diamond Phillips. Lou Phillips and Lance Diamond became one person to me. Okay. Well, that's what it is still. That's another Adam Portmanteau. There you go. And now you don't know. <laughs> we need a jingle for that, for sure. Yep, yep. We definitely reached the second cast moment, too, where everyone's yeah. loose and yep. giggly. Yep, I love it. And we finally worked through the kinks where I say the correct title for today's <laughs> cast. So we're on it. All right, so we are moving on from the, the drink. Find yourself some Max, Max Ice, though. Go to the nearest NoCo. Go to your yes. nearest <laughs> sitco. Kenyon's variety. Harrison's, whatever you got near you. Yes, and, and Wawa. Ask, ask the helpful, uh, the helpful uh, beverage specialist. I believe they're called Cicerones. <laughs> the beer dispenser. Just say, sir, I, I, I'm, I've been recommended this, this beverage. I believe it is called Labatt Max Ice. And he will he will certainly produce it for you quickly. And... It comes in a slimming black can of Indeed. elegance. Indeed. I'm looking for only the 16 ounces, though, sir. I'm Nothing looking, less. I'm looking for something that tastes like the Evening Star Lounge in Niagara Falls. <laughs> Not just the lounge, but I want it to taste like the stage. Oh, because the floor has a very definite, different flavor than the stage. Oh, Absolutely. sure. Yeah. You get too close to that floor and you're going to you're gonna retch. You don't want nothing stage to is fine. Yeah. At least music was happening on the stage. That's right. That's true. That's true. It's part of history. All right. So we are talking about Blade Runner 2049 with Ryan... Gosling. Gosling, there we go. I do it every time. He became baby Ryan Hercules. Reynolds, baby Hercules. He was, little, he was the young Hercules on TV. You know, it should help me, but it doesn't, unfortunately. You got to just say like Deadpool or The Notebook. How many? Wait a minute. How many references to Kevin Sorbo's Hercules have we made now on this cast? Enough that I followed. 
I do love that was a thing in my house. Like, Kevin Sorbo's Hercules. It was somebody, right before Xena Warrior Princess. Exactly. If somebody wants to go back through the, the catalog and find out how many times we have referenced the Sorbo or uh, Hercules or the Xena Warrior Princess on this cast, please hit us up on the socials and tell yeah. us how many times yep. we've done that. We'll I would send, love to know. We'll send you a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. Uh, yeah, some sometime in the we'll future. We'll get there. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> Blade Runner 2049 follows after Harrison Ford's Blade Runner, the early 80s, I believe it's 82 film, that is more closely associated with Philip K. Dick's uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. And 2049 picks up where Blade Runner left off. My question for you guys is, what does it add to Blade Runner that it was missing. Hmm. That's a good question. Because I I had actually watched Blade Runner 2049 first on accident, as I was telling Mike earlier, and then went back and watched Blade Runner, and I'm like, oh, shit, now this makes more sense. But I know you guys probably had the correct experience of Blade Runner and then 2049. Yeah, I had seen Blade Runner uh, multiple times over the years, uh, and and... I'm a huge fan of that movie. I, I believe it's one of the great ones. Uh, and, and so I went in prepared, you know, to be, I, I was, I was telling myself, like, keep your expectations low for 2049. I, mm-hmm. I was like, just see if you enjoy it, but certainly don't expect it to be in the same realm as, as the original. Um, I, I was, you know, very impressed with it when I saw it. I am not prepared to say that it's better than Blade Runner, um, but I am prepared to entertain the thought that it might be as good, um, which okay. is actually quite a statement coming from me who wouldn't have ever thought that was possible. Uh, I was very impressed with it, and, and I watched it a second time preparing for this podcast, and uh, I I still believe that. Okay. Sean? I uh, I'm gonna first preface this by saying I did not give out one of my patented fuck yous in the last cast. No, we withheld. So it can't unless we're like just treating do Android Stream of Electric Sheep as a palate cleanser from Termination Shock, in which case it does not deserve a fuck you. Are you going to use it here? Very possibly, because I could <laughs> not be more on the opposite side of the spectrum than Mike is right now. Oh no! So this is our typical alignment where Mike and I are on the same page, and Sean Sean is contra to Someone us. Someone has so, to be the contrarian. That's so, fine. You're you're basically we're we're gonna be like color commentating this. Adam and I, like listeners at home, stay tuned. Uh, Sean looks like he may be preparing to go to the to the patented fuck you. Watch out! He's got the max ice in his hand. Get down! Uh, no, I'm just kidding. You know, uh, all right. So. Obviously, I'm into nerdy shit, and obviously, yeah. Blade Runner has its place in the pantheon of must-watch sci-fi movies. Yeah, great. Next yeah. question. Sure. I, I, uh, you know, and I came into it years ago with that sensibility to it, and I think I mentioned it in the last cast that I convinced my wife to watch it with me. I'm like, this is going to be great. It gets such high reviews and everything, and I got to watch it. And I watched it, but I did not watch it uninterrupted because I kept falling asleep. It was dreadful. In my opinion, nearly dropped my beer. I th- I'm sorry, Ridley Scott has done so much better work than that. And the second one, I I love Denis Villeneuve. I love him, and the movie visually, cinematically is is awesome. But again, I feel like it it's just it it's just not what it's made out to be. It's like 
They insist upon themselves. <laughs> there you go. And I'm not here for that. Not too many. He's going to catch up to you from the last cast. I'm not here for that. Yeah, you're right. I got to mm-hmm. be careful. <laughs> so, I guess, can you expand on that idea of insisting upon itself? I know, obviously, we joke about that with some films because of a okay. certain director of our friends, but... You know, like Blade Runner, okay. Sure. Blade Runner was universally hated by people when it came out. Pardon? Are we okay, do you think? Yeah, he can mow his lawn. It's okay. fine. Blade Runner bad right like it came out and people said it was bad it took a it took years and a director's cut for it to hit and people were like oh wait a minute and the final cut actually yeah it took a bunch of re-edits and re- no fuck that noise there fuck that noise <laughs> if you gotta do that kind of work to get over the hump of people accepting your film then there's something fundamentally incorrect here the denis Villeneuve again it's it's basically just building upon this already house that's been built on sand. It's just there's something not working. It, it I don't know. And I don't think my bona fides are in question here as an appreciator of, of good mm. film and story. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to say, fuck you, <laughs> Just <Adam>. kidding. That's <laughs> fine. I'm, will, try, I'm trying to provoke one now. I will say that they weren't in question. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we can, we can disagree on things, too. That's, yeah, that's all of course part of we taste. can. But there's just, I, I'm not seeing it. And... I just, I feel like it's almost like, it's like pretending at being good film. Does that make sense to you guys? 2049 or the original Blade Runner? Okay. They are pretending at being something beyond what they are. And I guess when you talk about sci-fi, fantasy, superhero, whatever, there's a certain level you can get up to with the seriousness before you've got to be like, all right, fuck, get over yourself. And I feel like if you go too far over the limit, it becomes a parody. And for me, watching the original Blade Runner, and I'm like, I'm just going like, this is an art house, like, college students, like, movie. This is THX 1138 or whatever the hell that movie is. This is somebody trying to... It's Mystery Science Theater 3000 without the overcap, not, not, the overtalk? Not, not schlocky like that, okay. though. It's like someone who, it, I said it insists upon itself as a joke, but I kind of mean it. It's this idea that it's like, it takes itself too damn seriously. Okay. And for me, that's a deal breaker. I need levity at least a little mm. bit. And I don't think either one of those films, outside of Harrison Ford's roguish charm, right? And in the second movie, he has no roguish charm anymore because that died in him a long time ago. Right. I well, when like you when you get it, to be a certain age, yeah. Yeah, but with, without that like that quality, it just it becomes uh, grueling. It becomes like I have to do this because I have to do this. Right. I don't watch it because I want to watch it. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. It, yeah, it, I can see this that. This is a film. Both of these films are films that. When I say that to me, they're masterpieces, uh, I also understand that I couldn't put those films in front of just anybody and get the same reaction. Um, you know, there, there's certain movies where I'm like, if, if you watch, you know, fucking, I don't know, Goodfellas, and mm. you tell me, like, this is a fucking piece of shit and I hate this movie, <laughs> then I'm like, well, you know, you're a fucking piece of shit. And I, <laughs> We're no longer uh, friends. And I hate you, you know? Yeah. But, but with this movie... If for the I, record, I love Goodfellas. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for the record, Sean. Sean is not a piece of shit, and I do not hate him. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> the um, band's going to stay together. <laughs> but if I put this movie in front of people, and, and they come back with this reaction, you know, I'm not surprised by that. You know, and, and I, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's... It's a matter of your personal taste. I mean, for Agreed. me, I've always been a sucker for noir shit. 
you know, mm. like those dark, gritty, urban, jazzy, detective-ish crime stories are like, I will eat that shit up all day. The, the very old, going back to Humphrey Bogart, all the way up to like shit coming out today, including Blade Runner 2049. I love the noir aesthetic. Um, and then when you combine that with the themes that Blade Runner uh, explores, the aesthetic of the film and the themes of the film, and then on top of that, you make it a slow-simmering, slow-burning, brooding thing, which I am also openly a sucker for. To me, you've got a masterpiece. This was, yeah, this hit all of Mike's feels. That's for right. sure. I mean, I honestly, I am the target audience for Blade yeah. Runner. You know, and you say the way you outline it, I love that kind of shit too. But I don't know what it is about when you add the sci-fi layer to it that it just sort of takes me out of it. And I don't. It's it's got to be like you said. It's a personal thing. It, it clearly is just not scratching my itch. But it's um. Fuck, I had a thought there, and the lawnmower like brutalized the blue out jays. of my head. <laughs> yeah, but um, I just I feel like the noir part of it is great. I, I like that aesthetic part. The <laughs> that blue jay is fucking pissed at us. <laughs> it's jay. mad. And this this uh, fuck you, blue jay. This uh, uh, groundsman, let's say. <laughs> yeah, sure. Will groundskeeper um, Willie? They have no idea that they're about to become massive celebrities. No, indirectly listened to by hundreds of people. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's interesting. Like, so I am. In theory, I love... <laughs> Mike is pretending to throw a rock at the Blue Jay. The In theory, I love the brooding. I love the plotting. Get me there. I really did love the tonal quality of 2049. Yeah, I'll give it, you that too. It is exactly what I was hoping for when I came to a movie going, okay, it's Denis Villeneuve, Hans Zimmer is on, it really Scott Executive produced it, this is what we're going to get. And... My problem was probably more of a problem of um, life circumstance. So I, I was just super busy. If I had six hours to watch it twice, I would have loved it. I watched it once while otherwise preoccupied occasionally with some other things. But I really did love a lot of it. Having come to it after reading the original book and the whole plot of 2049 being can androids evolve to the point of carrying children and Jared Leto being pissed because his androids can't have babies. You know, I hear, I hear Rachel Rosen from the the first book in the back of my head, you know, I can't have kids. Is that going to be a, like, is that a problem? Does that make me less of a, a desirable thing to you? And Deckard fucks her. And then having come to this book, I loved it. I loved the fact that orange was like the predominant tonal color for everything. Everything was like atomic orange. Yep. When I think of the movie, that's what I see is David Batista covered in orange dust at all times. And I think that felt absolutely right for the book. At a certain point, though, I did lose heart for a little bit. You know, I, I lost my drive to finish it, except for the fact that we said we were going to finish it. And that came, the worst part is that came at like hour two and a half. Yeah. I had like half an hour left or 20, 40 minutes left, whatever yeah. it was. So perhaps in different circumstances, I would have been much more enthused. That's just a me problem. That's not a movie problem. Yeah, I think it's like that with uh, a lot of things um, that are big and that take their time. And we don't live in that world right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, know? yeah. Um, I, I The first time I saw this was uh, a couple years ago, and it was you know late in a summer evening. The rest of the house was asleep, so I had nowhere to be and nothing to do. 
And, um, you know, when I watched it again for this podcast, it was time that I had, you know, made a point of carving out to watch uninterrupted. Uh, and if you don't watch it in those circumstances, it's it's not the type of movie you can drift and out in and out of. Like you yeah. have to be, um, you know, you have to be immersed in it. Um, it, it. One of the things that impressed me the most about the film is that it exists at all, because to me, it's astonishing that even as late as 1982, they could make Blade Runner. You know, that's just not. That's just not what movie audiences are designed for anymore. That's the, yeah. The ability to sit there for an extended period of time and watch something that really takes its time developing ideas. Yeah. And the fact that it was made in 1982 with as bankable as the star as Harrison Ford was at that time. He was big then. He I mean, right. he was right around um, all of the Indiana Jones stuff. And just Star after Wars, Star Wars, yeah. so yeah, so he was at always, his height. That's always impressed me to begin with. When the previews, you know, first started dropping for 2049, I remember thinking, like, you can't do this now. You can't do this in, uh, you know, the second decade of the 2000s because audiences will still go back and watch Blade Runner because it's a classic, but they're not going to do it again. Hmm. So whatever they've produced here, I'm like, it's not going to be the same thing. And as I was watching it that first time, I was like, holy fuck, it is the same thing. Like, they it, literally very, yeah, I felt kept so. that same aesthetic. Um, they kept that super slow-burning, like, uh, pacing to the whole thing. And the movie was critically raved about, but commercially did not do that well. As it, is always, you don't get both, right, you get one or the it other. It does not surprise me at all, but I'm so happy that the movie exists. Because, again, if, if that is your thing, if that's your jam... If the first yeah. Blade Runner is a thing you like, then this is the next Blade Runner you wanted. All right, so I wanted to make space for uh, some of the maybe inconsistencies that we see in the movie here. And I want to pass it off to Sean in that way because we were just talking about things like the um, makeup of the androids in 2049 versus Blade Runner versus the book itself. And then some of the other things you you noticed that kind of bothered you, Sean. What were you thinking about? So this is my like part of my problem with it is I don't know if you guys have listened to other casts, but I have a really hard time like um, turning off my analytical mind sometimes, and that suspension of disbelief is difficult for a lot of things. Someone's on the phone too, but um, with this particular film, what got me was. Um, like in the in the book, and in the first one, it's way more ambiguous. But in the first in the book, it's like the idea that they're biological, yes, but they're also somewhat mechanical, digital creatures or whatever. Yeah, Rachel Rosen in the book says that she can only live for like two years or four yeah. years total. She was two years old; she could live for two more. Right, and they're like in the movie they talk about this. Like there are certain like restrictions on them, others that are unrestricted or experimental. The Nexus Six versus the Nexus Seven and the Eights mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But there was always the implication in Dick's novel that they were they were like um, wetware with a hardware interface. If yeah, that makes sense. Kind of, kind of like Ex Machina, yeah. where they had like a wetware on top of the mechanical yeah. interface. Like Terminator kind of a thing. Terminator, right, like sure. But then you get into uh, Blade Runner, and then twenty forty nine, where it becomes much more of like a no, they're one hundred percent organic. And I think Ridley Scott has actually gone on the record of saying like, no, they are one hundred percent organic creatures. They're just made. And to me, that becomes way more problematic when you think about the idea of retiring them and, and like, 
in what universe do human beings just let something like this happen? Right? Like, we live in a world where, and I get it, different times and things, but people would be up in arms over any kind of biological creature being retired, using that euphemism, and what Deckard is actually doing. And then, like, other little nitpicky things I got against you, and I agree with you guys, it's a beautiful looking film. Both of them are beautiful films. They do amazing work cinematography wise. It it's it's a, Denis Villeneuve. Like, they are it's well, going to. him and Scott. Like they're they're just sights to behold. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But things start to fall apart for me. With like one little example, I'll make is the part where they're looking for, or I think uh, Gosling's character K is looking for his history or looking for the past to try and find out if he's the child of replicants or if it's his you know something else or whatever. And he goes to find Deckard in the um, the atomic zone or whatever it is. Where, like, Las no, Vegas. But, yeah, That's what I pictured zone. it as. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, well, there's a heat signature in there. Oh, it's he's keeping bees or something. But, like, they go out of their way of showing how nothing survives in this world. Like, everything is dead. And, like, so what are the bees living on? Right? Because they made a big thing about the tree. And he finds that one little plant growing. And obviously there's symbolism in this. And there's the idea, like, the ossuary box is buried under the tree. And the real wood of the horse and yeah. all those little things, and it's like, oh, he's got, he's keeping bees. Well, are they fucking replicant bees? Are they real bees? What are say, those I bees pollinating? That's the question because he yeah. also sticks his hand in there and they don't sting him. You know, so we're led to I, believe that. Yeah, and, and then there's the whole thing a minute, a few minutes later, where he's like, "Is your dog real?" And he goes, "Why don't you ask him?" I, I, I don't think that the movie answers the question. I think the movie just poses the question. But okay, I get it. I feel like sometimes, or I love the mystery box idea of sometimes just saying, "Hey, you draw your own conclusions." Yeah. But I feel like there's no payoff for that unless there's a bit more of a not say direction. Like I don't need a, I don't need my hand held. I don't need to be told what to think. But I don't also want a mystery for the sake of a mystery. You know that's JJ sure. Abrams like heck shit. That's like I'm gonna give <laughs> that's you lost this, shit. Yeah, I'm gonna give you this thing. The purpose <laughs> of it is just for to get you to think. You know, it's like no, if it's purposeful. Right, and the only purpose I can envision for like the bees, for instance, is that it it pinpoints Deckard's location for him on his little like uh like predator vision thing or whatever it was he was using. That's it. Yeah. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it's like, what is the point of having that? So the only thing I can think of, because I'm always trying to like retcon these things, because that's my job, is that at the end of Do Androids Dream, they have a mechanical toad. Deckard thinks it's real until he brings it back to his wife, and she's like. Boop. No, there's a little switch yeah, down here. Point, yeah. And she orders all the flies and stuff. So the fact that she orders flies makes me think that it would be reasonable for him to order mechanical bees. But Is would it a bit of a film, stretch? Sure. Would your film viewer know that? Like, No. That's the thing. It's no, and, thing. and the thing between Do Android's Dream and Blade Runner, the original, is that Philip K. Dick always said that it's a conversation between the two. He would never do a novelization of... Blade Runner, he explicitly said, like, I'm not doing that shit. And he had a lot of problems with the original um, screenplay of it and the original um, script of it. I see that. That somebody else had to come in and rewrite it. And he's like, okay, you've, like, revivified this. I can do this now, but it's not my book. Yeah. It's in the world of my book. And I always saw Blade Runner 2049 as similar. It's in the world of androids, but not. Of Phil K. Dick. It's an interesting way to like parse your headcanon, I guess. You know, I you parse can. words. Yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> but I, I, well, the other thing is, it's like, all right, here's another little nitpicky thing. What the fuck is a Blade Runner? 
the fuck does that even mean? <clears throat> what does Blade Runner mean? Think about this for a second. There, there's a lot, actually, there's a lot of where that came from online. Please explain this to me, because I am ignorant of what a Blade Runner is. a person who hunts down replicants, right? Mm-hmm. Dick yeah. never made up that point. No. This is a, a pure fantasy of like Ridley Scott or whoever wrote this thing, but a Blade it sounds awesome. That sounds like a video game from 1986. Oh, we're gonna play Blade Runner now. Like it's 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 heavy metal sounding name. It's awesome. You right? you ready for this? Give it to me. It's another druggy writer. It's William S. Burroughs. Oh, Burroughs. So he. Um, something about like it's cocaine. A, it's a science fiction novella from Burroughs in '79. I don't know more than that, but I do remember when I was looking up the lightning round questions, Burroughs came up a lot. Mm-hmm. Who I mean, nothing against like recreational drug use. Whatever is your thing is your thing. But Burroughs and Philip K. Dick were both known to be heavy users, and I don't know if that's the connection or what it is. But, but that doesn't fit with the. It doesn't oh, fit Jesus, with yeah. It doesn't fit with the idea of like oh, why not call him like Hunter or something or yeah. Blade Runner. Andy retires. Well, that's a shitty name. Don't yeah, do that. Exactly. There's no like. There's there's no logistics things to. It. There's no logic to it. Sorry. It's just to me. It's like I need that. Yeah. I need a little bit more like why this is what it is. I need to know why the androids have biological brains and it's okay to kill them. I need to know why they're called Blade Runners. Like, that kind of thing, to me, I love that that level of world building. Yeah, so my, my take on all that is, and I think this is something that the movie engages with directly in the character of... Um, Shoot, what's the character's name? Jared Leto is the actor. Uh, uh, it's Jared Leto. I can never think of anything yeah. else but Jared Leto. Uh, but- yeah. <laughs> But he says you know, in, in one of uh, his opening monologues, you know, he talks about how no, no great civilization has, you know, arisen and no great accomplishments have been, you know, uh, achieved by human civilizations without there being some sort of forced labor class. Oh, slavery, yeah. Yeah, yeah he and, says and, it exactly he after uses, the birth of one of his the, babies. Right, right, and he uses the word slavery in that. And then he, he bemoans that... He cannot make enough of these things. Mm -hmm. And so if the question is, you know, why is it okay for them to assassinate something that's essentially living flesh? And why would humans sanction that and be okay with that? I think that's exactly the question that the, 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 I don't don't want to get into the book here because I don't think the book goes nearly as deeply. But the movies, I think for sure, are actually asking that exact question. Um, At the end of the first Blade Runner movie... This, what has been a terrifying antagonist, uh, I wish the actor's name would Rucker come to Hauer. me right now, but over this Blue Jay, I can't fucking think about anything. <laughs> Rucker Hauer. That's yeah. the actor. The, yeah. Rucker he's, Hauer. He's like a Swedish actor. Roy right? Beatty, yeah. 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 So he plays Roy ba- Beatty, and uh, you know he's terrifying the entire movie until the final moments, and suddenly it makes this transformation into this, you know, uh, Miltonian-like, I rebelled against my creator because I wanted to become like my creator. And for that, mm-hmm. I'm being punished. And he becomes this like sacrificial lamb. They, they make him this like angelic, like fallen angel Jesus. imagery. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Jesus. Well, literally, literally Jesus. The yeah. Knife, or the, not the knife, the nail into his into hand. His hand. Right? So yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty upfront. It's not too subtle. And you know, this comes up a lot in the, the second movie as well. I mean, Jared Leto's character looks like some f- sort of fucking satanic like, yeah. character. Yeah. And he talks Straight back, long hair, who's very pale. Yeah. Luciferian. And, and so, yeah. so then you start, you know, when, when he says these things about, you know, s- 
you need slaves in order for humanity to advance. And he's, I think he says, I'm paraphrasing, but something like we lost our appetite for slavery or something like that. He says, yeah. and you start thinking about like, yeah, I mean, like when you look at like the great, like South American civilizations of, you know, hundreds or thousands of years ago and like, how did they build their cities and their, their great pyramids? Like, oh, it was slavery and human sacrifice. And how did the Egyptians build their pyramids and their cities? It was slavery. slavery and human sacrifice. You come up to like Gre ancient Greece and ancient Rome and, you know, you start, I mean, anybody who's seen the movie Gladiator, you know, knows what like the gladiatorial arena was. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's, pa that's, that's in the same movie as the guy goes, oh, who knew that men could build such things when he beholds Rome no. in the Colosseum yeah. for the first time, right? So it's that thing where it's like, no, humans do this. It's not like would humans allow this, it's that humans have done this for thousands of years. Yeah. And the fact that they make them flesh instead of machine complicates that question even further because it does force you to ask like, is that what we've done for thousands of years? Like we've mm -hmm. somehow dehumanized them even though they're literally the same thing as we are. Yeah. I will say that the the hanging plastic embryonic sack that they dropped from in 2049 <laughs> did help dehumanize them to me until I saw Jared Leto interact with all of the androids. Like there's that one scene where he's like, I'm unable to make uh, an android who's got a womb. It's empty, barren, and he slashes her right where the ovaries would be. I'm like, Jesus right. fucking Christ. Yeah. Like that humanized the replicants or the androids for me in a way that like the book or Blade Runner, the original never did it right. in no uncertain terms for sure. And that might be just a function of having the technological ability to do that via, you know, computer or however they did that. And I'm actually just thinking of this as you're talking, but it's interesting that he's more machine than they are in that sense. Yeah. Like he has, he's blind and he has like, you know, bio or not uh, biological. He's got implants. Like, yeah. He has implants that allow him to like see and see through these cameras that are hovering around the room. And he's actually more of a machine than the so-called machines are. Themselves. Yeah. You know, well, that's humanity, no, man. I have no problem with the lessons that these things have or the questions they raise. All of that is interesting. I just feel like the vehicles that deliver those ideas are deeply flawed. And sure. I, for me, it be, makes the message become problematic. Less of the gift and more of the packaging. Yeah. Sure. Indeed. I can buy that. Quick side note. I do. I, while we're on the, the character who I've been quoting heavily from here, uh, I, I, I didn't actually realize that this was Jared Leto. I had to look it up after. I watched yeah. The movie. No, I didn't. And he's really. I, yeah. I, I did not see it was Jared Leto. I thought he was fucking brilliant. Like he was a horrifying character without yeah. ever raising his yep. voice one time. Like there's that point where Harrison Ford says to him, um, yeah, obviously you've never had children. And he like immediately leans forward in his chair with this sinister grin and goes, Oh, I have millions. And I'm just like, Oh, I got goosebumps. Like, yeah. This is fucking horrible. Well, Leto, when yeah. Leto was on, Leto's amazing. Yeah. 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 This, this is an example is, of on. Is he going to be in uh, Dune part two? I, I haven't looked yet. He's worked with Villanova before, obviously, and I, yeah. I wonder. I think he might have been on the the cast slate. We'll have to look into that when it comes time. Yes, yeah. check but out the he, socials. We'll we'll follow up on the socials yeah. here. He is a he is a fantastic actor when he is given something to work with. Yeah, some uh, things yeah. like Mobius or Morbius or whatever, not so much. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, well, that's not his fault. That's the script's fault. Eh, or the Joker. That's all. I actually, there. all right, we can do a, a hot take of that later, but that's not for us right now because I actually really <laughs> appreciated the Joker. Get what? 
Yeah. Little sugar? Stop it. That's fine. Oh, my yep. God. It's cool. We can disagree. We're still friends. <laughs> we should do a, a Joker cast, right? Because I have I have a great fondness for uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. I feel like you told me you're not as big of a fan, Sean. Is oh, that I correct? think Heath Ledger is the the yeah. and he's, he's the <laughs> well, final word in Joker portrayals. And, and you're a Leto man, Adam. So we, we I'm not we can have just a... a I'm not exclusively <laughs> a Leto man, just to be sure. Because like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker really struck a lot of nerves for me. Yeah, I have issues with. The treatment of people with mental illness in Joaquin Phoenix's version. Mm-hmm. That was just my my brief. So bit also a Jack Nicholson fan. Sure. Well, yeah. Sure. He's the, the the OG. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, fans at home, stay tuned for Joker. That will be uh, an upcoming hot uh, debate cast. I think we're doing it. We Put just it on our long term uh, list. There we got. Yeah. We're we're planned out through next February. Yeah, we're there booked. you go. We're booked. Yeah. Speaking of booked, you all ready for the lightning round? Yes, yes, Do it. This spans both Blade Runner and Blade Runner. 2049 so if you've never uh paid attention to the lightning round thanks for being here appreciate it we have uh three questions first to ring in gets to answer the question if you answer it correctly you get a point what do the points mean essentially nothing except for ego and maybe uh how you perceive yourself so first question rumor has it that harrison ford in blade runner blamed this for his lackluster acting. He was in an airplane accident when around this time when he was filming the Star Wars movie, so I'm going to guess that. Oh, that is not what I had seen Fuck. in my research. Oh, well, Sean? Um, there you I, go. Will, uh, I will go with he, um, he was under the weather and was ill. You took the easy way out. <laughs> <laughs> the look I got from Sean. Tell me I'm wrong, Adam. You are wrong. So Fuck. according to multiple sources... He really was pissed off at the voiceover that was added to the original cut of Blade Runner. He felt like he was following the direction of the voiceover and not his acting. So he was like, fuck y'all. I'm following the voiceover. Fuck it. You don't like it? Whatever. So when they removed it in the director's cut and then subsequently the final cut, he felt pissed because his acting then did not follow what he wanted to do. He was following the voiceover that You're was thrown right. in for commercial audiences. I, I, He's pissed. I, so my answer was way off then because I thought you were talking about 2049. No, I apologize. That was, and, yeah, just yeah, a few that was years me. ago. Uh, he was, You're in, that right. he was in that airplane accident. accident. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll call it a draw because that was a, a poorly asked question. No, it wasn't. Sean is pissed. No, okay. You might need to call it another did question. You, did you get a point there? No, you didn't either. So, all right. Um, in Blade Runner, the original, what Stephen King movie was originally used in the ending? Stephen King movie. Correct. Not book. Correct. Sean got in just barely first. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Carrie. That's incorrect. All right. I was going to say The Shining. That is correct. Yes! Really? I knew it. They used, I knew it. They used B- <laughs> uh, fuck you. <laughs> That's not a real he knew it. They used B-roll from the end of The Shining at the end of um, the original ending for Blade Runner as they pan out of the scene. How the fuck does that even happen? I don't fucking know. I have no clue what. What would they use? The the hotel? Yeah. Like what? I don't know. Damn. But that was that was reported by that was agreed upon by Harrison Ford, Ridley Scott, everybody else. Yes, I, I've, that I've, is an odd deep cut. I know. I've come know. across this many times in my Blade Runner scholarships. So. Indeed, indeed. I'm sorry that you have Blade Runner scholarships. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, don't I'll, be sorry. I'll it's, take a point for that. It's there made me a, a very. Bing. It's made me a very happy, satisfied man. There you uh, go. Uh, All right, last question is about not the a sad, lonely man. Oh. <laughs> 
Last question is about the uh, entire world. This film series is widely considered to be cursed. Why is that? Cursed? Why is it considered cursed? <laughs> Sean. Wild stab at it. Philip K. Dick put the Kavorka on it. Ooh, he put the 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 eye on it. No, he, that's he did the, the yeah the yeah. eye. The babaganoush. No, <laughs> that's mm. a food. Yeah, Mike, you get a stab at it. I dip my balls in it. <laughs> uh, I'm just I don't know. It's it's neither of the movies performed well originally commercially, but both have a good critical standing, and so they're loath to make a third one because they want to make money. So that would make sense logistically, but not correct. Ah. So the the most thorough answer is that any product that earned product placement in either of the two films went out of business almost immediately thereafter. Really? Bell Telephone in the first one. Coke did the Coke Free or Coke Zero Coke immediately after. Was a terrible failure. What about Budweiser? And Johnny Walker. Budweiser. Don't even get me started on Budweiser. That's a good point. Right. Johnny Walker's the one that escaped. Okay. But it didn't get the prominent product placement that the others did. And that's where they're saying, like, that. that's how it True. escaped. You see the back of the label. You're you don't right. see the full as label. As many times as I've seen this movie, I knew that Harrison Ford sipped scotch throughout it. But yeah. I had to look it up for yeah. this cast to find out it was Johnny Walker. There is a, there is a Bell telephone payphone that's featured in the original. And within five years, Bell Telephone is dead. Split that's up. Interesting. Wow. Yep. Okay. Real quick, side note, totally sure. unrelated, but I just want to say that the we never even touched upon the Ana de Armas digital wife character from no. 2049. Yeah, this... And I just want to say that she is delightful. <laughs> so I and will a say... Fantastic actress. Very talented actress, yes. I do have a thing for digital surrogate partners, apparently, because between Ex Machina... Oh, yeah. And, well, <laughs> and her, I, and the literal film... Her, Her yeah. right? Like, I really am enticed by, like, how would humanity respond to realistic acting partners, even yeah. though they're digital or some sort of, like, bag of soft plastics plus, you know, software sort of thing. It's intriguing. That, that was the most intriguing part of 2049, and I really appreciated they worked something in where it was cool because Kay, as a replicant, establishes a relationship with a digital woman and there's mm -hmm. all this like subtext to that like oh you don't like real girls and all this other stuff mm -hmm. and then yeah she has to superimpose herself holographically over the real girl and yeah then, like, turns out to be a replicant yeah yeah she's part of that like revolution or yeah whatever. and then like the the whole thing like she, every time she goes to interact with him she's like faking that she's touching him yeah but he gets something out of that which right. i thought was kind of neat because he's a replicant and yeah that was cool but again, it's one of those loose threads yeah. that just sort of is just left flapping There's in the so breeze. There's so much shit that we didn't get into because it would require like a three-hour cast. Yeah, yeah. we're already at 45 about, minutes. I was talking exactly. about Miltonian and all the like biblical angel symbolism in both films. Uh, we talked about how Roy Beatty looks like Christ at the end there. Yeah. Um, you know, and we talked about how Jared Leto looks like Satan. Uh, but we didn't even talk about like, I don't think we talked about how like, you know, the whole like 
miracle conception thing is like a huge thing in this movie. Yeah, yeah literally. Right like off the bat, they're like, you've never the seen Madonna. a miracle. And then the whole movie is about like, oh, there was somehow a miracle baby and he thinks yeah. it might be him, but you know. I, yeah. And, oh, then, and there was that moment where he meets up with the revolution and she's like, oh, you thought it was right. you. We, yeah. we all did. Like, yeah. Because it's in all of us. And, and then that turns out to be true, right? Because the one who it really was was planting her memories in that. And everybody yeah, around. There's a lot of that, like, deep mythological shit that's in this movie. But that, that was one of my other like big disconnects with the movie was if they're androids, then how do you biologically recreate a computer brain, right? Like To me, that became the biggest problem. If they have a brain <laughs> and they have human bodies, then right. they're humans. Well, this, this, is why, this is why Sean is our, our resident Tolkien scholar. Because <laughs> yeah. he needs everything explained back. Like no, 300 no, pages no. of how Mordor I, exists. I don't with appendices and <laughs> Although I appreciate that kind of minutia, I I don't need it. I just feel like you can't ignore it. You know, That's like fair. if you're gonna make fair. it, a, if you're gonna no, make a point of it, then you have to at least give me a tantalizing something to to, to branch off onto. Yeah. Like make a throwaway line that talks about it, right? But you just like leave it hanging there. That to me is problematic. Well, that's because you know, Sean, you're a dude who like works on cars and takes things <laughs> apart. And I'm the kind of guy who's like, I'd rather like you know be in a shark attack than have to do any of that. <laughs> so I just trust the filmmakers. <laughs> you know, it's like, interesting. Like, oh, they can do yeah. that. Oh, cool. All you right. know, it's funny because I, I can't. I'm at that point of view i just don't see it you don't pass the void comp test you're Shit, done fuck i'm a replicant uh, and you know the interesting thing is i am the middle ground you will not hear sean's voice the rest of this cast there you go i just i just laser tubed him um the interesting thing is like to hold double standards in the mind at one time maybe even double think here uh so if it's fantasy i want it explained i want to know where the goddamn um hobbits came from you didn't tell me fuck you <laughs> But if it's sci-fi, sure, fine. The progression of time, Murphy's Law, all of those things. Yeah. Not Murphy's Law. What's the law where, where it's like the power of a processor doubles every six months? That's a that's a philosophical belief, and it actually turns out to be fairly true in computing. But in any case, like I believe that the passage of time makes almost everything possible, unless it's back in fantasy land. Right. You got dwarves, dwarves, gnomes, orcs, and half works no you got to tell me how that works which isn't fair but you know yeah. i'm a human well and i mean there's hard sci-fi and there's soft sci-fi I, th I think those are the terms right yeah and hard sci-fi like you hard, hard sci-fi is like the martian where you have to explain everything science. scientifically yeah, yeah. And, and i think i think blade runner falls in the category of soft science where it's it's about the ideas mm -hmm. the science is just a way of it, it's 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 almost more fantasy in that sense yeah in that it's more about the ideas and um you know how the brains are, are created is um you know a question that those of us who are mechanically minded don't think <laughs> <to ask. laughs> it's fair it's fair and it's it, honestly it's a place where like unfortunately for or fortunately for sci-fi they get the benefit of the doubt yeah you know like nasa actually just included it in x-wing in the um aerospace aeronautics museum because they're like thank you for inspiring us but nobody goes back to fantasy and says, thank you for inspiring us, Tolkien, with your orcs and your half-elves and all that shit. So maybe as a society, we have double standards when it comes to what we expect to be explained to us. Tolkien gets no respect. Nope. <laughs> nobody believes in him. Nobody likes him. He's the Rodney Dangerfield of... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's a dating reference. There. No, I got you, though. I got you, though. All right, we really, so... We really did kill Sean here. That's uh, that's why know, it's so silent. You're not hearing his voice. Yeah. <laughs> 
So then I guess it's to you and me, Mike. Do we recommend Blade Runner 2049? Uh, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. I think it's a masterpiece. I thought the first film was a masterpiece. I, um, I love them both. Uh, I understand it's not going to fit everyone's taste profile and I wouldn't show this movie to a lot of people who, uh, you know, I, I think you really need to get down with like slow moving, brooding, sure. philosophical movies to be able to enjoy this. Uh, but if that's your jam, then yeah, I a hundred percent recommend it. I think it's great. Corpse of Sean. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. I'm alive. Um, Tolkien's awesome, by the way. And uh, <laughs> you, you know my take is, and this is going to be like a proceed at your own risk. If sure. you are like Mike said, if you're into the brooding, um, very cinematic, which is in its own right, you know, worth watching it for. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of great of things to see. The story itself, I'm like, well, I mean, if you're into it, you're into it. If you're not, then don't waste your time. It's one of those things where it's like you're either going to be deeply in love with what you're seeing or you're going to go, what the fuck did I just do? Sure. And if you're like 20 minutes in, if you're sitting there going, what the fuck? <laughs> Walk away. Walk away before yeah. you ruin it. and just Th That's that, a fair take. That's fair, yeah. If, yeah. if 20 minutes in... It that is a good measure of what you're going to see for I the think next so. two hours. Yeah. yeah. So. And if you've, you've got that far and it's just not touching, go watch a Adam Sandler movie or something. <laughs> no, no. Go fuck you. Don't watch an Adam Sandler film. But I will say, life is too short to watch something that you're not enjoying. Exactly. Right? Yeah. If it's if it's a two and a half hour movie, 245, and you're not enjoying it, just walk away. Go watch Ex Machina instead. I, I, yeah, go watch Ex, Ex Machina. Listen to our cast about it. But I will say that, you know, I'm a yes on this. In that I really appreciated the physicality with which K has to dismantle the androids that was not present in the book, right? Mm. Him versus David Batista going through that wall in the first 10 minutes of the film hooked me. I was there for it. Yeah, I, maybe I faded out after two and a half hours, <laughs> but I might fade out after two and a half hours of anything. So that's not, that's not fair True. to use me as a barometer here, right? So um, we're going to say proceed at your own risk, I think is the the rule here and uh, that's it for us today fellow nerds join us next time for some newer fiction as we're reading the three-body problem by by jim smith <laughs> <laughs> you know what it's absolutely nothing against you uh mr Liu, but shixen season I'm, I'm trying i don't know i'm gonna look it up no one has given me definitive pronunciation and i want to get it right for you so that's where we're at the three-body problem widely hailed as a great piece of sci-fi we're coming up with that next all right we'll see you then next time and uh until then enjoy your max ice <laughs> <laughs> cheers, cheers. Welcome to Nerds of the Old Republic, the podcast where we drink and discuss nerdy fiction and where we're not above shouting obscenities at deceased authors. That's right. I'm Adam. I am Sean. And I'm Mike. This is episode three of season two for this nerdy podcast of ours, and we are excited to be back. Today we're discussing one of the few Harrison Ford movies we've seen I haven't seen yet, Blade Runner. <laughs> Couple, couple corrections. Uh, yeah, thank you. Was it was it two or three? You want to just restart this whole thing? This is, it's four. This is Fuck. episode four of season three. No, no, keep rolling, keep rolling. This Fuck. Is good, this is good. And, I, and I believe we're 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 not we're not discussing a Harrison Ford movie, right? We're discussing a Ryan Gosling yes. film. Twenty forty nine.
Yeah. A, a Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> all right, yeah. I'll just so, so Sean, Sean will edit it.